And they were like, somebody smells like beer. <laughs> He's like, that's wild. Oh, gosh. It's crazy. Sleepless in New Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> Sectional. 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 We're, we're not rush shaming. Russ is coming out on top here. <laughs> Let's be clear. Hey, welcome to the Presequential Podcast, where we go from 1 to 45 and under 90 and discuss the life, legacy, and little-known facts about every single American president. I'm your host, Ryan Allwart, joined by, to my left, Blaine Zimmerman, in a fancy new hoodie sweatshirt. Who are you rocking there, Blaine? Grand Valley State. Why Grand Valley State? My youngest sister has committed to run track at Grand Valley State, so I'm repping the Lakers. We love that. Laker for a lifetime. Hmm. The, the Mariners, maybe. I don't know. There's a mariner on the shirt. Okay. I'll learn. I'll you know have what? to. Also joined by our producer, extraordinary, and vice presidential expert, Russ Slivka. Russ, good gracious. You're freshly shaved up top on the head, but the beard looks pretty glorious today. Thank you. You're very welcome. You got in your flannel. You look like you, you live in Maine and you work at a lumber company. I am oh, yeah. a lumberjack. That's, and that's okay. A lumber, <laughs> Russ. It is okay. Sleep all night and work all day? Yep. Shout out to all the lumberjacks out there listening, just waiting for that main episode. Wears high heels, suspenders, and a bra. <laughs> what is that? On Wednesdays, Monty I Python. go shopping, oh. <laughs> just like my dear papa. <laughs> what is happening? Have you never heard the lumberjack song? I haven't heard that one. He's no. a lumberjack and he's okay. He sleeps all night and he works <laughs> all day. Hey, Blaine, uh, besides choosing the presidential biographies that we read for the show, you also name the episodes. What are we calling episode 14 on Franklin Pierce? The Doe Face. I love it. Which we'll get into why. Um, and, and for this episode, we read the aptly named Franklin Pierce by Michael F. Holt. It was written in 2010 and is 134 pages. It kind is of a, a breeze. A, this is basically a pamphlet. A zephyr. Yeah. Uh, uh, just a... Whew. Yeah. That is Franklin Pierce right there. Which is all he deserves. Yeah. Do you want to take a stab at the running page tally now for mm-hmm. how many books we've read? 14 presidents in. No. Okay, 6,048, an average of 432 pages per POTUS. PPP. PPP, that's right. We also enjoy a drank while we are recording every episode. And in honor of Franklin Pierce, uh, we are sipping on some of the worst beer I've ever had. (laughs) Franklin Pierce was ranked in 2017 in the uh, C-SPAN historian biography, whatever the ranking is. The C-SPAN presidential ranking. Thank you. Third from the bottom. And I was on Booze Patrol tonight, and I went to the liquor store and found, tucked away in the corner, so sad. (laughs) So sad. The third worst beer in America, ranked by some beer guide. We're drinking, gosh, what is this again? Natural ice. Natural ice. It's horrible and... Uh, Agreed. Oh, God, it's just bad. When was the last time you had a beer this bad? College. Mm. Well, I don't know. I had some near beer in Iraq that wasn't any good. Oh, like Iraqi beer? No, like 0% alcohol beer. So just water? Near beer. Near beer. Mm -hmm. I I was going to... St. Pauli Girl. Oh, gosh. They still make that? I'm sure they do. I was going to get some like orange-flavored Mick Ultra, just looking for like the (laughs) weakest beer possible. Yeah. Well... But no... Probably I walked fair. in the door today with a 30-pack of Yeah, and man, ice. 
you really took the wind out of my sails. Well, you know what? You get to keep the rest of it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. Because I'm only gonna I'm gonna suffer through about two of these. Yeah. So, uh, cheers! I think sure uh, in honor Na- of third worst natural ice, uh, Franklin Pierce. New Hampshire, Let's, New uh, Hampshire's God, finest. Here we go. Let's try. Mm. Oh gosh, that's not good. That reminds me of the three warm bushlight bottles I had uh, behind the shrubs of a hotel that I was staying at sophomore year of high school. Is the first time I got drunk. I hope your parents know about that before right now. I think they do. I think okay. I've to <laughs> my sister got some guy to buy it for us, and she's like, "This is all I could get." And I was like, three? What do we do?" And oh, like, you well, got you six. open it and you drink it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, God, this is actually worse than that. Huh. Let's okay. dive in. What do you guys remember about Franklin Pierce from social studies class, government, civics, history in high school? What do you remember? Nothing. Uh, and also, I've had a few people that I've talked to today that I said that we were recording, and they would say, what president? And I'd say, Franklin Pierce. And they would go, I didn't even know that was a president. Yeah. Which is fair. Russ? Uh, I used to think he looks like my father-in-law. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You He's... you knew what your father-in-law was going to look like in high school? Yeah, that was the question. For yeah. Oh, in high school. <laughs> <laughs> yes. He's had big dreams. Yes. Uh, he knew exactly. He had this this vision of this Russian man. Oh, Are you named Russ because you're Russian? Yeah, yeah. obviously. Russ. Yeah. Actually, that's his full As name. It's Russian. <laughs> Russ is short for Russian. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Russ. Just unpack your heritage for the people. <laughs> Uh, Polish heritage. Okay. My last name Slivka okay. translates to little plum in Polish. <laughs> uh, have we talked about so, the Polish a, liquor? The we have Slivovitz. There's so a Slivovitz fine liqueur. It's like plum How many brandy. little plum plums brandy. does it take to change a light bulb? Oh boy, <laughs> you're the worst. Boy. Uh, okay. Uh, my wife is Ukrainian. Okay. Yeah. All right. My is... father-in-law was in the Russian military. We get along just fine. <laughs> wow. wow. Why am I just now learning this? So, not surprising yeah, that someone in the Russian military would look like Franklin Pierce. He Bingo. He's a strapping man. Or he was, was arguably the most handsome president, which I feel like maybe JFK. I mean, a tan JFK. Take, yeah. Good gracious. But looking at this picture, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a very good judge. Um, he had some really nice hair. <clears throat> he... The, yeah, he was very popular with women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and we'll get into some of that. Let's go into his life. Yeah. Let's let's go there. Kay. Cheers. Sure. Oof. Oh, every sip is brutal. <laughs> <laughs> Franklin Pierce was born on November 23rd, 1804 in a log cabin in Hillsborough, New Hampshire. He was a sixth generation American whose English ancestors emigrated to Massachusetts in the 1630s. His mother... Anna Kendrick died when he was young. Yes. And I think it's safe to assume that he missed her when she was gone. For those of you who <laughs> haven't endured the movie Pitch Perfect, that was our first acapella reference. I wrote of the that night. just for you, Ryan. Well, thank you, Blaine. Yes, from his mother, Anna Kendrick. Uh, maybe Anna Kendrick, I don't know. He also inherited future bouts of depression and alcoholism. And uh, on that light note, let's talk about his dad. <laughs> Pierce's father, Benjamin, was an American Revolutionary War hero who had Wait, spent... <laughs> real quick, let's talk about his alcoholism just for a minute. Go ahead. Because I found this website. So we, when we talk about the, the alcohols that we pick, I found a website that showed every president's favorite booze. Okay. And for Franklin Pierce, it said something to the effect of anything. Uh, LAUGHTER 
<laughs> he was the drunkest president that we had. Wow. When he left office, he said, well, I guess there's nothing else to do but drink. And then the next sentence was, he died of cirrhosis of the liver. <laughs> Flash forwarding a little bit to the tragic death of Franklin Pierce that really not a lot of people mourn. Yeah. The, oh, never saw that coming. Mm. Let's talk about his dad. Okay. Continental Army. Yeah. He spent the winter of 1777 with George Washington at Valley Forge. He was a farmer, a tavern keeper, and two-time governor of New Hampshire. He hated elitists and federalists. His So his brothers went to West Point and Dartmouth. Yeah. One of them fought, or maybe both of them fought in the War of 1812, I think. Right. So when it was time for Frank, Frankie... Frankie. Let's when it was Frank, time for Frank Frankie Francis. Uh, to go to college, yeah. he wanted to go to Dartmouth like his brother, Ivy League school, you know. Where is Dartmouth? Uh, uh, it is in Rust, Rhode Island. You, that's no, Brown. It's, yeah, Brown's Brown in Rhode, is Island. Rhode Island. So it's in New Hampshire. Is Dartmouth a... Uh, I'm pretty sure, yeah. Okay, all right, all right. I'm, I mean, it's a shot in the dark. Lower your voice. So his father wouldn't allow it because... A uh, Federalist was the president of Dartmouth at the time. Oh, my. So How bougie of dad. Yeah. So uh, he went to Bowden? Bowden, I believe. Bowden, yeah. Okay. B-O-U-D-B-O-W-D-O-I. It looks yeah, like Bowdoin, but it's yeah. okay. Bowden. In Maine. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, New Hampshire. Dartmouth is Dartmouth in, New, is in Hampshire. New Hampshire. Nailed it. It's Hand temporarily over. closed, according to Google. <laughs> Got five stars out of five <laughs> from the Dartmouth it was, Alumni It was my safety school. Um, <laughs> so, about Bowdoin? Bowdoin. Let's, Bowdoin. Let's say Bowdoin, yeah. It's in Maine. Yeah. And one of his classmates was John Hale, who will come up later in the episode. Another one of his friends, future BFF, <laughs> and author of The Scarlet Letter, Nathaniel Hawthorne. Ooh, slicking me good with the eyes. Now, you have to unpack that. You already did. You can't just drop that in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When did we talk about that? That was... A long time ago. Episode. Madison, probably. Yeah, if you're just now hopping in at episode 14, thank you, <laughs> and we're sorry. Yeah. He was Franklin Pierce Stan. Uh, <laughs> it, it was the slicking magoo with the eyes was what how we described Nathaniel Hawthorne when playing authors as a child. That's, Blaine, that's what he looked like. By we, Blaine means himself and his great-grandparents who raised him. Yeah. Well, raised... Like, we lived with him until I was a little 10. Yeah. Not completely raised, but yeah. Sure. Okay. So he's 15. He's at Boat Bout. He's, he's in college in Maine. Good gracious. <laughs> Where he excelled at public speaking. In 1824, he graduated fifth in his class, began studying law, and was admitted to the Shocking. bar. Shocking. Yeah, right. Lawyer uh, in the he, White House. <laughs> wow. That's, gosh. Something new. Yeah. He was admitted <laughs> to the bar three years later in 1827. So he's 24. He wins election to the New Hampshire State Legislature. Two years later, he becomes the Speaker. Strict Jeffersonian. Yes. Anti-Federalist mm-hmm. through and through, which feels like, I mean, it feels like we're far enough away. Like, let it go, man. Yeah. He was a member of the New Hampshire State Legislature at the same time Daddy was governor of New Hampshire. Yeah. And this would have been Jackson as president? He was a big Jackson fan. Yeah. yeah. So, well, I guess... Let's see, 29 was Jackson, so probably would have been Van Buren by then, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, Jackson's still kind of in the mix. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Puppeteering. By the way, do you know the state nickname? This is a little bit of a tangent. Do you know the state nickname of New Hampshire? Mm, Better than Old Hampshire. (laughs) That's not it. Stop deflecting. I guessed. The ice. (laughs) No, it's not the ice. Uh, The ice state. We're moving. 
<laughs> Is it what, not that? What do you think? What, the blank state. What do you think it was? Uh, Magnolia. Nope, that's Mississippi. Oh, that's not even close. Nope. The the ice. No. <laughs> <laughs> the granite state. Oh man, granite. I feel like I knew that. Granite state. Yeah. I like we're moving better. We're moving. <laughs> I have one friend who lives in New Hampshire. Is he moving? No. Uh, he moved. <laughs> he's like, he leaves after the summer because he works at his dad's restaurant and then he comes back to Indiana. Oh, I thought you were going to say he was a traveling singer. No. <laughs> no, I wasn't going to say that. A, a traveling minstrel, if Once you will. the ship docks, goes and finds regional work. What are you talking about right now? The cruise ship. I've worked on a cruise ship. We I'm need aware. A, we need a whole other podcast. I thought that podcast. this was probably a cruise ship friend of yours. No, uh-uh. No. Okay. This is a young friend named Dexter. That's his name. Hmm. Russ is going to cut all of this out. No, he's not. No, he's not. He's keeping uh, it all in. <laughs> is let's, let's he a logger it. now? I'm sorry? Is he a logger now? No, he Do works he at his to be dad's restaurant. Thing? No. He's not looking like a lumberjack like Russ is. Okay. So not the TV show guy? No, not okay. Dexter. Uh, Michael C. What was his name? Michael C. Michael. Sarah. As Dexter. a steadfast supporter of Andrew Jackson, and, yeah. more, and more often allied with the Southern Democrats than with the majority of his fellow Northern Democrats, Pierce was called a doughface. Uh, Blaine, do you want to tell the good people <clears throat> what a doughface is? Yes. Effectively, a doughface was a Northerner that had Southern sympathies. So someone from the North that was like, look, guys, you haven't been there. Uh, it's not that bad. Like, what they're doing isn't that bad. Like, maybe we should just let them do it. Yeah. So he was anti-abolitionist, mm-hmm. which we'll get into in a little bit. But the majority of people in his area called him a doughface because they were like, you've, you've never even been there. Yeah. Like. Yeah. We're northern. Or let me, th- let me think about this. We're all doughfaces, northern Democrats. Or could you be. I think. I don't know that. You had to have an affiliation. I would yeah. suppose that if you were anti-abolitionist at the time, okay. you were Democrat. It was more of a Northerner associating. Yes, it was oneself. a Northerner saying that you're from the North, but you sympathize with the South. Okay. And that's kind of how he like ran the rest of his political career. Yeah, yeah. Um, the way he tried to spin it, I guess, is that like, well, if we try to take slavery away, then the South's going to secede. Yeah. Because like we've talked about multiple times, this isn't something that just happened overnight. It happened over decades. And so he, that's how he spun it. But everything, at least from the book we read, made it relatively clear. Like he actually felt that way. Yeah. It wasn't like some sort of effort to save the union. It was like, no, guys, they're doing their slavery thing and we should just stay out of it. Which there's some quotes we'll get into once he's president that are oh, Yeah, yeah, they're pretty atrocious. His future Democratic successor as president, James Buchanan of Pennsylvania, would also be deemed a doughface. Oh, yeah. Yes, for sure. Uh, We skip over him getting married? No, we're about to jump in. Okay, good. Thank you. Good. Despite Pierce's rapid ascent in the world of politics, he soon found his life in Washington tedious and lonesome. After developing a dependency on alcohol, he decided it was time to settle down, and in 1834, he married the shy and pious Jane Means Appleton, the daughter of a former Bowdoin president and supporter of the temperance movement. Within half an hour of exchanging their vows, literally within 30 minutes, 
They leave for Washington and the new session of Congress. Now, his new wife, Jane's poor health, prevented much socializing by the newlyweds, which was probably a good thing for Pierce, who was a handsome, extroverted charmer who could, and often did, drink his face off. Okay, so there were a lot of ironies in this marriage. As you mentioned, she was an advocate of the temperance movement for uh, the uninitiated. The temperance movement was the tip of the spear of what ended up being prohibition. Mm -hmm. So the temperance folks are very anti-booze, not fans of the podcast. Um, Nope. And she hated tobacco, she hated drinking, and she hated public life. (laughs) She was also a federalist. Dislikes include public life. (laughs) Yeah. So so she marries an anti-federalist that constantly smoked... What was the nice way you put it? Had a dependency on alcohol, uh, yeah, and was a public servant as by means of being a congressman with presidential aspirations. What was she doing? Well, she was also, according to the book, very ugly, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't want to get into like looks that yeah. much because that's not fun or cool. She but was... if he, this is like a wildly handsome man mm-hmm. who is in. The public spotlight from the Granite State drinks a lot. That married an unhandsome woman. That's a very that nice hated way the of... public spotlight. Yeah, that was of an opposite political party. Yeah. maybe he was trying to get back at his dad. I don't <laughs> like. He was trying to stick it to old Ben, huh? <laughs> yeah, maybe like, nothing about their marriage makes yeah. sense. Yeah, like I can promise you, it wasn't love. It pro- it did it didn't seem like a warm and fuzzy relationship. Yeah, they whatsoever. barely even saw each other. Yeah, and she was always sick. Time. Yeah, like their first son dies three days in. Yeah, which probably didn't do a whole lot to help. Their I think they would have three kids and two died. Mm-hmm. They didn't survive infancy. I yeah, believe the other one. We'll Just get save to. that. My goodness, what a so, story! So that whole his marriage is an is a conundrum. Uh, yeah, it is pretty puzzling. Like maybe because she was President Bowden's daughter, or the president of Bowden, yep, his daughter. Maybe it was some sort of an arrangement his dad made, yeah, or he made like as a power yeah, play. Yeah, because if you're Franklin Pierce, you don't have to really climb higher on the social ladder, right? Your dad's it, a governor. Yeah, it could just have been like some sort of power play deal they made. Could be. I don't maybe know. she just it has just, huge you know, tracts of mm-hmm. land. I don't think she, New Hampshire's not even that big. How they're, dare you the speak? Tracks of land in New Hampshire, by definition, can't be big. That's a good point. <laughs> I do like how Vermont, New Hampshire, look like someone was just. They're like, just staring just, at each other. Yeah, staring just, contest. Go. <laughs> oh my goodness! Let's dive into the Mexican War, shall we? Oh, I was hoping we would. Oh, Hold gosh. on. So he tried to get anti-slavery people off ballots. Yeah, I remember this. Well, before he, yeah. before the the Mexican War, yeah. he resigned his Senate seat in 1842. He did. He and served I know for about four or five years, yeah. We touched on this on previous episodes, but like, that's wild. Yeah. Can you imagine somebody being like, you know what, I quit. For him to bounce. I think it, a lot of it had to do with Jane's persistence of just nagging at him about how much she hated Washington. Yeah. And I think he was like, all right, fine. 
I'm out. But so this, it was like so it was like a '90s sitcom. Like the <laughs> the yeah. wife complains enough, and he's like, oh, "I guess I'll quit. I'm tired of her complaining." He went <laughs> he went home to actually join the temperance movement in New Hampshire, and he started he working did. as, a, as yeah. an attorney, which is yeah. just crazy. And they were like, "Somebody smells like beer." And he's like, "That's wild. Oh gosh, it's crazy." While he was in Congress, he, who is it? Before he, before he resigned. <laughs> Just kicking over beer cans. (laughs) So throughout his lackluster season in Congress... Batting under the Mendoza line. What's the Mendoza line? uh, 200, I think, in baseball. It's a a batting average. I was in show choir. Okay, Okay, so it's it's a baseball reference? (laughs) Yeah, it's a a below average hitter. Okay. I think the Mendoza line's 200, if I'm not mistaken. Um, He detested the abolitionist movement. He found their attitude uh, and their tendency to condemn anyone who didn't join their movement as a sinner deeply offensive. And he actually feared that abolitionism, if it went farther than he wanted it to, could split the nation that his father had fought to create. So there was a little something personal behind it as well, that, you know, my dad fought for this country to be founded. I see your movement as threatening to that. Therefore, I do not like that whatsoever. Yeah, like I said, the case could be made that he was anti-abolitionist because he saw that leading to secession, which splits the country. But I think that it was more personal. At this time, he's also broing out with Jefferson Davis, who becomes his (laughs) closest political ally. Yeah. So the, the Mexican-American War How to lose starts. friends and alienate people. Uh, <laughs> so the Mendoza mean? line is yeah, an expression ahead. in baseball deriving from the name of shortstop Mario Mendoza, whose oh. poor batting average is taken to define the threshold of incompetent hitting. Wow. So let's bad. just say that Franklin Pierce was below the Mendoza line in Congress. Yeah. Uh, possibly in life. That's safe to say. I also now want to learn about other famous lines in our country's history, like the Mason Dixon. Mason Dixon, yeah, that's one. I think that's that's well, you could make those two just because <laughs> we can't name another. Uh, let's uh, just keep trucking. So the Mexican American War breaks out in uh, 1846. Pierce recruited men for the New Hampshire Volunteers, and he appealed to President James K. Polk, the Napoleon of the Stump, to allow him to be an officer. And in 1847, Pierce goes from being a private to a brigadier general. Which happens daily. Though he had zero military experience. Yeah. So what just happened was that he got promoted 16 ranks in one day. He That's went insane. from E1 to O7. Gosh. Overnight. Mm. Wow. Um, like I said, happens all the time. <laughs> uh, I, I just was just at a ceremony last week. Are you serious? 17 rank. What? Addition. <laughs> I was like, congratulations, sir. I Man, I was just yelling at you yesterday. Let me change your diaper. Uh, now you're my boss's boss's <laughs> boss's boss. Once again, happens all the time. <laughs> so when he was in Mexico, he yeah. went to serve under Winfield Scott. Yes. And uh, shockingly, when any fighting broke out, he was either injured or sick. He was. At the Battle of Contreras, he was injured when he crushed. <laughs> oh, I do remember his injuries okay. being funny. Okay. So his horse gets startled. from artillery fire and then lurches him in his most sensitive region forward to the horn of his saddle Mm -hmm. and this man's and he's like oh (laughs) (laughs) he crushes himself turns into a cartoon (laughs) and then his His eyes like do that 
pop-out thing. Yeah, yeah. like a Roger Rabbit kind yeah. of thing. His horse falls on his leg. Mm-hmm. So and he, then just stays there, right? He cannot like, feel his <laughs> groin, and suddenly he can't feel his leg. He faints from the pain of the accident, uh-huh. earning him the nickname Fainting Frank from his men behind <laughs> his back. They started calling him a coward, too, because then they the did. very next... Was it Chipotlepec? Yeah. Was the next one? The final And he got, victory. like, wildly sick. Yes. Like, with diphtheria or something. And they were like, okay, clearly there's a pattern here. Yeah. Like, we're going to fight. He gets hurt. Okay. Like, <laughs> he's a sick call warrior. Chipotlepec, you mentioned in some other episode, I think it might have been Zachary Taylor, maybe? Probably Taylor. Talk about this. There's a there's some marine legend of the Battle of Chipotlepec. Oh, yeah. And I I don't know that it's factual. The, You're I believe in the Army, it is. but you knew this story about the Marines. I think this is true. The yeah. red stripe on the bottom of the dress uniform for Marine leaders, so non-commissioned officers or officers— is supposed to represent the bloodshed at the Battle of Chapultepec. That's really cool if it's true. I think it is, but I could have some small pieces. But Chapultepec is also where Stonewall Jackson was a a lieutenant, I believe. Longstreet was a lieutenant there. Lee was a lieutenant. Like, a lot of the generals in the Civil War were lieutenants at Chapultepec. Was Grant there? I don't think Grant was at... I think Grant was at a different... I could be wrong. There were multiple... Famous Civil War generals that were lieutenants at Chapultepec, Someone is which is a in nightmare to spell. Right yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because Civil War people, they know their stuff. Yes. So, like, I genuinely apologize about that. I'm trying to go on yeah. like prior knowledge there. Oh man. So he gets, um, gosh, all kinds of hurt in his lower midsection. I don't know how else to say his sack. Like, how else do I? Like, what other euphemisms can I use? Testicles. Testicles. Mm-hmm. I said groin. Yeah, that works. We're that good. Works. Let's move on. Back home in New Hampshire, it hurt. yeah, Pierce became the undisputed leader of the state's Democratic Party. By this time, his stance on sectional disputes over slavery and its Western expansion <laughs> was flatly pro-Southern, not simply anti-anti-slavery. So, 1852's election is coming up, and the Democratic Party is seeking a candidate who is a pro-slavery Northerner to right. get voters on both sides of the slavery issue. And then Levi Woodbury dies. Which yep. basically opens the door. Yes, and he immediately is like, "I don't want to. I don't want to run." And well, no, he previous to Levi Woodbury's death, he yes. says he doesn't want to run. Correct. And then he dies, and the path opens and becomes clear. And he's like, "Well, I mean, I guess twist my arm, twist <laughs> my arm." So. Yeah. Uh, they ballot 48 times, eliminating all the well-known candidates before nominating Pierce. So he's really a, a dark horse. And the nomination meant that he had to run against his former commander, General Winfield Scott of the Whigs. And his wife instantly faints yeah. when he gets the nomination. So it uh, was a- But isn't this the second time Winfield Scott ends up having to compete against one of his subordinates? Because didn't Taylor go against Winfield Scott in the primaries? For the Whig Party previously, what, it does eight sound years familiar. Ago? Yeah, I think it is. I think yeah, I think Winfield Scott was like, you know, he was this commander, and then all the subordinates become president. Yeah, <laughs> way to go, old like, fuss and feathers. Clearly, you are a great leader, old <laughs> fuss and feathers. He's in the Lincoln story too, right? Uh, different. That's uh, Hanfield Scott. Oh, okay. Uh, what's William Scott. Hanfield's Ah, oh, man, Civil War people are still so, mad at me. They're so mad. <laughs> so this was funny. The Democratic Party's slogan was, We polked you in 1844, and we shall pierce you in 1852. <laughs> no, How did I not know that? 
We poked you in 18... 18- <laughs> We poked you in 1844. We oh shall pierce gosh. you in 1852. Uh, go poke yourself. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's that's actually better than Jeb. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. So during so, the campaign, uh, the Whigs mercilessly mock oh, uh, Pierce Catholics. as the hero <laughs> of many a well-fought bottle. Oh, well, yeah. He won all those battles. Oh, gosh, uh, did he? He defeated Temperance. His own personal battle with temperance. It, um, <laughs> his liver was the victor in the end, though. That's or, true. Cirrhosis. Yes, yeah, cirrhosis um, won. So, man. Okay. So the Whig party. Oh, gosh. Was. They crumble. They were a nightmare. Yeah, they were horrible. As we've talked about in previous episodes, uh, they never really had a strategy. No. Uh, I mean, at one point, they nominated a vice president without even checking to see if he was a Whig. And then he became the president. John Tyler. Yeah. Yeah. So. They are, uh, so Pierce, to his credit, tries to bring the party together. This beer is so bad. I just have to, I just keep <laughs> talking up. about the wigs. Go ahead. Oh. put hair on your chest. Ugh. Okay. So the wig party is, is fractioned. Over half of them hated uh, uh, Catholics. They needed some sectional healing. Yeah. Except, well, so they said, let's get it on. Um, half of them hated Catholics. The other half thought, well, maybe we can, you know, bring some Catholics into the fold because the other people hate Catholics too. Yep. They also were anti-abolitionist, but like some of them thought like, well, but but slavery is bad though. Yeah. And so Franklin Pierce, and this is the one thing I'll say to his credit, was like, well, what if we get party unity? What if we get the party to stop uh, uh, fighting with each other? And the quote, which I have here, was that basically General Apathy is the strongest candidate out there, wrote a journalist from Cincinnati. He said, trying to mobilize Whig voters was something like pissing against the wind when blowing 60 miles to the hour. Mm. So essentially, like, Whig voters were like, whatever. Yeah. Like, I like what I like. I'm picked the Whigs because I can spell it. And uh, I'll vote, Maybe. I like silent H's in my political party's name. So, like, it's one thing to have a political strategy to to be like, we we need to unify, right? Yeah. But that only works if people care about and they just things yeah. in general. He was like, you know what we should do? We should get the nihilists to care about something. And people were like, that is not smart. <laughs> is this a, uh, when you mention nihilist, there's a movie that you enjoy that I've seen once the Big Lebowski. Is that a Big yeah. Lebowski quote that you just did? That was not a quote, but I did, was thinking of Uli Konkoff. Yeah. Is he a character in it? Is yeah, that what it not, is? Russ is a disappointed people. dad in Ryan right now. He's like, I can't believe he, he's you his Coen brothers. Yeah. All right, you suck. <laughs> uh, after a deadlock, Pierce is elected 14th president of the United States. Huzzah! But the joy of his Wait, victory... Wait, deadlock? No. He carried all but four states. The deadlock was in the primary. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, he won in a landslide. Like, he was like, hey, boss, guess what? <laughs> landslide by Fleetwood Mac played. Everyone said, this is yeah. a great song. A little slow, kind of depressing, but... And they were like, didn't they just break up? <laughs> like, she's just making him play drums for her? I downloaded this on Kazaa last week. What's Kazaa? Why is my computer so slow? You have a computer? <laughs> Spit's gone on far too long. This is the 1850s. Didn't he take a train with his oh, son gosh. somewhere? The joy of his victory was soon eclipsed oh, by the boy. gruesome Man. and tragic death of 11-year-old son, 
Benjamin. Let's call him Benny because the Pierces did before he died. On January 6th, 1853, the president-elect's family had been traveling from Boston by train when their car derailed and rolled down an embankment near Andover, Massachusetts. Now both Franklin and Jane survived, but in the wreckage, they found their only remaining son, 11-year-old Benny, crushed to death, his body nearly fully decapitated. And he was sitting next to him on the, the yeah. train. Like, I don't remember the exact specifics, but it had something to do with the just the way the train derailed. Yeah. Like, Pierce and his wife were thrown one way. Yeah. The son was thrown another, and a piece of debris. Yeah. Uh, and they walked up and found him. Uh, yeah. Like, the most unimaginable thing you can happen. Horrible. This is the one thing I'll feel sympathy for him on. Yeah. Like, walking up on your child. Yep. That, man, that's rough. Both Uh, the Pierces suffered severe depression afterward, naturally. Naturally, yeah. Um, Which, you gotta think, likely affected his performance as president. Jane wondered if the accident was divine punishment from God for her husband's pursuit and acceptance of high office. She wrote a lengthy letter of apology to her son, Benny, for her failings as a mother and avoided social functions for much of her first two years as first lady, making her public debut in that role to great sympathy at the annual public reception held at the White House on New Year's Day, 1855. When he departed New Hampshire for the inauguration two months later, his wife Jane chose not to join him. Pierce, then the youngest man to be elected president at age 48, chose to affirm his oath of office on a law book rather than swear it on a Bible, as all his predecessors, save Quincy Adams, had done. In his 20-minute inaugural speech, which he had memorized, Pierce told a sparse, chilled crowd, quote, You have summoned me in my weakness. You must sustain me by your strength. And in a harbinger, there's a $5 word, yeah. of his disastrous administration to come, no inaugural ball was held that night. That's probably fair. Yeah. yeah. So with that, uh-huh. uh, let's all like go to do 10 push-ups, like mm-hmm. get the blood flowing again, yeah. bring some energy back. Do I uh, have to drink another of these horrible natural ices? Well, as uh, the wise man once said, you dug your grave. You have to lay in it. Uh, let's hear from one of our great sponsors. You're listening to episode 14, the Doughface of the Presequential Podcast. Whether you're just starting out, well on your way to living your dream, or eagerly approaching retirement, make sure you're financially prepared to achieve a lifetime of goals. Zach Cerruti, Rob Novotny, and their team at Northwestern Mutual can help you reach them with a personalized financial plan. They apply time-tested strategies, providing education and expert advice to help you make decisions based on your priorities. As your circumstances and priorities change over time, they will work with you to revise your plan so you can meet each of life's challenges head-on and celebrate your accomplishments along the way. Zach and Rob and their team at Northwestern Mutual will be able to unpack ideas that can leave you and your family well-planned. To learn more, visit the link in our show notes or email Rob at robert.novotny at nm.com. That's robert.novotny at nm.com. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. 
Is this Welcome Back, Cotter? Is that sure the theme is. song yep. that you're doing? Never got the opportunity, and I took it. Um, You've never done the post-break Welcome Back, have I don't think you? so, yeah. Oh, man. You kind of run the ship here, and I'm okay with that. Let's keep talking about Franklin Pierce. So we dealt with the very somber inauguration of Franklin Pierce following yep. the death of his son, but I think there is an interesting story about the inauguration of his vice president, and I feel like we have somebody that could... Explain it to us a little better. He's Our the, vice presidential expert, Russ Slifka. Russ Ian right. Slifka. He's literally <laughs> right here. You so act Russ. every time. You're like, I think we have uh, <laughs> yeah. an expert. Yeah. yeah, it's fun. He's two feet away from you. Yeah. He's the silent majority. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Russ, teach us and our listeners about Franklin Pierce's vice president. Sure. Please. Uh, Franklin Pierce's vice president was William Rufus Devane. Rufus! King. There we go. In the Senate, he was... <laughs> he was the, the, the president Senate, of the Senate. Yes, we're... Yeah. Senate. Well, yeah. even before he was president of the Senate, he was very often the president pro temp of the Senate. Oh, pro- okay. Pro tem. Was the president of the Senate at the time, Winfield Scott, and he overtook him to become the president of the Senate? It was really, he would fill in for any VP that decided they didn't want to be president pro tem of the Senate. Which was a lot of them. Which was a lot yeah. of them a lot of the huh. time. He, he, he was very like, I'll much, do it. I'll do it. Yeah, he was like the, the kid in class who wanted to. Didn't we have yeah. homework? Yeah. 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 Teacher goes out of the room. He wants to be, you know, the teacher watching him. So, and he was supposedly very good at it. He was there during the Missouri Compromise. He filled in when Millard Fillmore didn't have a VP and didn't have one for the rest of his term. William Rufus Rufus Devane King. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of names. It is a lot. William Rufus Devane King. Devane King. Oh, W R D K? Yeah. Cool, yeah. In Cincinnati. Yeah. W R D K in Cincinnati. There's yeah. there's a reason I got that in. Yeah, that's good. So when he was elected VP, he actually had tuberculosis. Because he had TB, his doctor recommended he move to a different climate. So he actually moved to Cuba. Okay. So in that time period between the election and the inauguration, he was living in Cuba. At the same at- time that Pierce is losing his son, this guy King. Yeah. is over in Cuba yeah. trying to heal from uh, tuberculosis. tuberculosis. And when the inauguration day came, he was the first, I think, president or vice president to take the oath on foreign soil. Mm. Yeah. That's so, interesting. Mm-hmm. What do you think his inauguration speech was? <coughs> I mean, I assume vice presidents also have an inauguration speech. Who swore speech. him in? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think it was over Zoom or something like that. Uh, It was in Matanzas, Cuba. Okay. Yeah. I have a feeling that his inauguration speech as Rufus was probably, he gave his inauguration and he was like, be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. He soon returned from Cuba because he wanted to be president of the Senate. That was his dream. Which is, is to be the actual president of the Senate. Assistant to the regional manager. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Okay. He came back to the continental U.S. and was in Alabama, I believe, for... Greenbow? No. Uh, they, were in, be... they were in Cuba. And one of the Cubans was like, I think you should go back to, to Greenbow, Greenbow, Alabama. Alabama. Ain't sitting here. <laughs> <laughs> Seats taken. Me and Rufus was like, peace <laughs> 
So okay, he's in people. Alabama. He's yeah. in Alabama. He's a shrimp boat captain. Yeah. Obviously. Got it. For two days, and he dies. Oh, my. Yeah, dead. <laughs> Tuberculosis. Wait, what? Yeah. So he's so, been the vice president for like what, a week? No, I mean, six weeks is oh, what sure. I have exactly. Okay. But, but so not, it takes a while. To get not to in D.C. with... He no, never he made it to D.C. No, he never so made this, it back to D.C. So he was oh my sworn in yeah. in Cuba, Cuba. Yeah. made it all the way to Alabama, which isn't even on the way no. to D.C. No. Okay. He had a connecting so flight. was there another vice president? No, there was not another vice okay. president. Okay. All right. So Franklin Pierce... What is with this just boring season of presidents that had have no, no vice presidents? I yeah. would argue that that is the opposite of boring. Okay. A vice president that was sworn in in Cuba, never made it to Washington, D.C., only lived six weeks, somehow ended up in Alabama, and died. And then there was not a replacement. That is the opposite of boring. Is he buried there? Is he buried in Alabama? Um, he is, well, he actually is buried in Selma because he founded oh, okay. Selma, Alabama. Oh, okay. So That's he's from cool. Alabama. Okay. So that makes more sense oh, than I him just taking a pit stop Take in Greenbone. Yeah. He was throwing his shoe at the trailer. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I got some stuff that I got to, like, you... You helped me understand this a little bit better. He was from Alabama. Yeah. That's why he would... Russ okay, is so that. You Rufus... Look a little... was, he, was he actually from Alabama? You don't I... know. I did know it sometime. <laughs> when you were skimming your one your book one while book. we were reading like 87 books. I read an entire chapter. We're not rush shaming. All right. <laughs> yeah. Let's not, let's not we're, we're not rush shaming. Russ is coming out on top here. <laughs> let's be clear. <laughs> Russ is coming out on top here. Russ is coming out Let's be clear. <laughs> This works. If that's not in the cold open, you're fired. (laughs) (laughs) Fine. No problem. (laughs) Uh, One other fun fact. Yes. About William Rufus Devane King was he was roommates with James Buchanan for the last 13 years of his life. In Cuba? No, No, because Buchanan was in England. No, no, he hadn't hadn't left Europe yet. Yeah. Where was he roommates with James Buchanan? Uh, he lived with James Buchanan for 13 years until his death. So wherever so Buchanan that was, answered a different question than you asked. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What time would you like to go to dinner? Uh, Red Lobster. Yeah, James Buchanan. Wow. <laughs> yeah, they. Um, huh. Yeah, they were um, compatriots. They had a very close relationship. They often attended official. Functions oh, together. this is the Buchanan rumor. This is the Buchanan rumor. Okay. Were they rumored to be more than friends? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Oh. Uh, never proven. Uh, not something I want to spend a huge amount of time on and not something that we want to spend a huge time on yeah. in next episode because it wasn't proven. But there are yeah. very, um, I, I guess, reputable stories yeah. that... We potentially have already had our first homosexual president. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I never Which knew at, any of obviously, this. Obviously, at the time, uh, would have been a gigantic issue. Yeah. Um, but it, but they, they did. They were very... Um, it was a very open friendship. I yeah. Mean, they, there were several to many, like, male-male romanticism, like romanticized yeah. relationships sure. like yeah. writing yeah. ardent but like uh, now like, like letters w- to one another there's actually a yeah. reason that one of the books that we didn't pick on buchanan was because they like went all in on this one theory yeah and almost made it seem like it was a negative and i was like i don't 
Like yeah. That, yeah. For one, not a negative. Two, we're not getting into like conjecture. Right. 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 So, mm-hmm. um, Russ, I love these vice presidential segments. Like yeah. the one that was uh, when Aaron Burr killed Alexander Hamilton and then went on to still be vice president. Mm-hmm. And now this William Rufus Devane King mm-hmm. guy. The alleged lover of the next president. Yeah. Man. He was the only man who wanted to be vice president. Like that was his lifelong goal was to be <laughs> vice president. Okay. Well, I just want to like up till then. Oh yeah, up till yeah, then. Up till then. Because now scene. I'm sure there's yeah. plenty of people that are like, I'll be two's baby. fine. Yeah. 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 Two's, two's good. Yeah. Russ, anything else about uh, this man with four names? No. Russ, okay. thank well, you. So, towards the beginning of his presidency, uh, Franklin Pierce made some comments that were, in my opinion, a little uncouth. Okay. And I don't even know if I used that word right, but he was giving a message to the people of the country. And he said something that really stood out to me that really kind of angered me. He almost marketed a phrase that was used a lot for slavery that I think is infuriating because he tried to come up with a phrase for slavery that, and and I don't know that he coined this phrase, but he used it and he used it quite a bit, that makes it seem like less than what it actually was. He was speaking, he was alluding to slavery and the Compromise of 1850, the sectional healing. And he said that, I believe that involuntary servitude, as it exists in different states of this confederacy, is recognized by the Constitution. I hold that the laws of 1850, commonly called compromise measures, are strictly constitutional and to be unhesitatingly carried into effect. So he was talking about the Fugitive Slave Act. And he was basically saying, if you help a slave become free, uh, we're going to prosecute you to the full extent of the law. And he changed the term slavery into involuntary servitude, Mm. which is a way to lessen the blow of what slavery is. Yeah. And man, like you can make the argument of, well, people of their time just didn't know any better. Yeah. But you can't really defend the euphemism. Yeah, the euphemism, the changing of words to make it seem less worse than it was. Yeah. There was also another one around that time called the Peculiar Institution of the Southern States. I would argue not as bad as trying to change to involuntary servitude. Right. Because at that point, if you're a normal person in the 1850s, you're hearing that and it's something that's psychologically going to trigger in your brain. To be like, oh, it's not that bad. Mm. Like, they're just servants like we have. We just pay ours. Yeah. And, like, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Like, so there's a line, I think, maybe, where you can defend the, they didn't know any better. Yeah. And that is below the line. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why he's the third worst president. Yeah. I mean, and and not well, just we're going to get did, into yeah, one of the gosh. more serious reasons. I mean, yeah. From the get go, you know, he's distracted from his work, from his grief, mm-hmm. which is like you said, like let's, gosh, let's feel for him on that. Yeah. His, his cabinet appointments basically please no one. He chooses Jefferson Davis of Mississippi as Secretary of War, which really, I mean, he got right wrong side of history for. on that one, yeah. and he's going to continue to be on the wrong side of history the rest of the episode. Yeah. Actually, cool thing that happened during his presidency in December of 1853, uh, the country purchased 30,000 square miles of land from Mexico in present-day New Mexico and Arizona. This is it basically settled the dispute 
revolving around this Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. If you want to learn more about that, check it out. Mm -hmm. But he really helped the Transcontinental Railroad continue to move west. He tried to secure Cuba, but he sent the wrong guy. So his (laughs) Spanish minister was supposed to secure Cuba, and he ended up like totally screwed up and got into a duel with the French minister. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And when he left, he just openly said, like, you should revolt Spain. Like, you should revolt and take Cuba and, you know, say what you will about Manifest Destiny and what has happened with Cuba since then. But, like, there's a pretty good chance that it would have become a state had this one random guy not been like, I'm fighting this French guy. And now... Everyone revolt. Well, not only that, he stepped on it when he declared, yo, we're going to, this is, this is paraphrasing. Yo. Yo. No, that's what he said. Yo, 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 what time is it? Cuba time. Cuba time. (laughs) Drink. Basically, he said, I'm going to take Cuba by force if I have to. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, It's known as the Ostend Manifesto. It was not supposed to get out. It did. Not really a good look for Pierce at all. You want to talk about the Kansas-Nebraska Act? Because that was a big deal uh, in his presidency. So real quick, before we get into that, he recognizes Buchanan is a political like rival of his. So he sends him to Europe because he's like, well, if he's out of sight, out of mind, he can't run against me. And we'll find out shortly it was a mistake. Yeah. He gets there. And when he's there, he runs into one of my favorite figures of history. Uh, not because he was good, because of how awful <laughs> this guy was. <laughs> So this guy's name is Daniel Sickles, and I will do a really quick aside about him, and I would love to do an additional episode about him because okay. I've read a ton about him. Fun. He's a fascinating human. This guy was in the Tammany Hall uh, New York elite, Okay, gets assigned an ambassadorship to England. His wife had just had a baby, so the baby was not old enough to make the transatlantic boat ride. So what does Dan do? He takes his favorite prostitute oh my. to England. As he gets there... The prostitute says, I want to meet the queen. He's like, yeah, no problem. Yeah, we can do that. Let me just put on some pants. And so we'll he brings <laughs> this prostitute, I think her name was Fannie Mae. Oh, that's convenient. To England to meet the queen on July 4th. Oh, and boy. at the dinner that night, he gets offended that they won't recognize the American Revolution. Because wow. he clearly can't read a room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. He's like, how dare you not realize we rose up against you and Gosh. fought our, for our independence, like in front of the queen with this prostitute. Wow. Comes back, befriends Mary Todd. We'll talk a little bit more about that in the Lincoln episode next okay. season. Gets a generalship during the Civil War, and he's the only non-West Point general to run a regiment and almost single-handedly loses the uh, Battle of Gettysburg. I remember you talking about this in, not an episode, but some recording session. Yeah. We, we have a lot of post-recording yeah. session convos that are fun. Almost single-handedly wow. loses Battle of Gettysburg for the Union, uh, loses his leg, and his leg is still on display to this day at Walter Reed. No, it's not. Uh, yeah. Well, his leg bone. Is, okay. Like, the flesh is gone. They but have. then later in life, he was instrumental in getting Gettysburg right. saved as a historical site. So wow. side note during Franklin Pierce about Daniel Sickles, this is the first time he really appears in the history of wow. what we're talking about. Fascinating human. I would love to do like a side episode. Why, about why do you day. know so much about this gentleman? I had to study him while I was in officer school. I randomly got assigned him and me being me, I dove all in. I yeah. read like two full biographies on the guy like it was i went way too far 
fascinating character. So coming back, he does this to Buchanan, put a pin in what he does by sending Buchanan to Europe because it ends up strategically not being smart for Pierce. Yeah. And now the Kansas-Nebraska Act. Yeah. So you can absolutely Google the Kansas-Nebraska Act and learn a lot more about it than we have time or desire to cover it. 30,000 foot view. Okay. Okay. Pierce's predecessor, Millard Fillmore, had worked with Senator Stephen Douglas from Illinois, who was Pierce's Democratic rival. Who's going to come up in season two. He will. To push the Compromise of 1853 Congress, okay? So Sectional. Sectional. In January 1854, Douglas is chairing a Senate committee that oversaw new states and territories, and he introduces legislation that established popular sovereignty, or basically letting the local white citizens decide the slavery issue themselves. Pierce at first urged Douglas to leave the decision of the Supreme Court, but Douglas refuses, claiming that only a congressional repeal of the Missouri Compromise would keep the South in the Union. So they meet. After bitter debate, Congress says, we are going to repeal the prohibition against slavery in the territories north of latitude 36 degrees, 30 minutes. Yeah. Congress passes Douglas's Kansas-Nebraska Act in May of 1854, yep. and Pierce signs it. Mm-hmm. So Pierce's signature is on it, but Stephen Douglas is really the guy behind it. And this is a big deal because it repeals the Missouri Compromise of 1820. Mm-hmm. The Whigs are then destroyed completely while a new and strictly northern party, the Republicans, come into being, soon to be led by a lawyer named Abraham Lincoln. On the other hand, the Democrats were gravely weakened, especially Douglas and Pierce, as northern Democrats split over this and intended to lessen controversy, the act did the opposite, increasing national debates and tensions over slavery between north and south. So are you going to dive into what happened in Lawrence? Well, just real quick. So basically what happened, in a nutshell, is... Kansas becomes a state. Pierce names Reeder governor of Kansas. In reality, Reeder was, I believe, from Missouri, from St. Louis. So Reeder really just wanted to come to Kansas to do some land speculation. Yeah. He has no interest in being governor of Kansas. He has no interest in this legislature. He has no interest in whether or not they're they're slave or anti-slave. He just sees an opportunity to go buy a bunch of land in a place where a bunch of people are going to move because of westward expansion. Which we're also going to hear about in episode 21 with Arthur. Probably, yeah. Because Arthur went out there too. Yeah. Oh, anyway. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. But, but I yeah. digress. So... They allow voting. They allow Kansas, the new state, to vote on whether it be slave or free. And they essentially allow a lot of people from slave states to just rush in and vote. Border ruffians yeah, is what exactly. they're called. The border ruffians. So all of these people come in and Pierce defends them. Yeah. Like people are like, hey, this is a problem. Like they are not Kansans. They're not Jayhawks, yeah. if you will. They are coming in just to clearly sway this vote. Yep. And Pierce is like, I'm tired of this abolitionist movement. I'm tired of you saying that these people can't vote. I will bring in the army if you do Gosh. not allow them to vote. Good so he takes a stand, of insurrection stand, yeah. a seditious stand, yeah. if you will, to say, I'm allowing people to come from slave states to vote. Because I'm okay with Kansas being a slave state. Yeah. Like completely gets rid of the ideas of the Constitution Mm -hmm. and the ideas of letting the people that had been living there for a long time decide their own fate. Yeah. And Reader, of course, is like, yeah, I'll let it happen. I just want to buy land. Whoever wants to come, I can sell this land. So that's the broad view of it. Like Ryan said, I would 
strongly suggest yeah. doing a little bit more research because we spent so much time on sickles. We can't get into actual Franklin Pierce things. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you are in Kansas listening to this, you probably have already heard this from grade school, middle school, and high school. And I'd actually be interested to hear what version of this they've heard. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because you only hear what your textbooks tell you. Right. I mean, and, the, the, what I heard about Kansas, Nebraska in, in high school, which granted was a long time ago, but I remember... Lawrence, Kansas gets looted, burned to yeah. the ground. John Brown comes over. That's later. A little bit later. Yeah. Or he murders he and his sons. I think well, maybe. he had a lot of people. Yeah. 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 But they murder pro-slavery men mm-hmm. in Kansas in retaliation for attacks on free soilers, I think is what they were called. Mm-hmm. Gosh, I mean, Pierce just totally blows this. I mean, he cannot. Oh, yeah. I mean, there have been a lot of people that said that what he did was seditious. It was straight yep. up. Like, he had early on said that he didn't like abolitionists because it was going to cause a secession, and then he allows something to happen mm. that started the actual chain of events. Yeah. That started the secession. Yeah, and he's not pushing against the tide. I mean, he willingly gets out of the way and says, hey, just let it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So for this reason and so many more, I mean, there's there's a fiasco in, uh, like you said, Cuba, Nicaragua as well, revolving around slavery. He's doing little to secure himself yeah. support within his party. And because he sent Buchanan to Europe, ah, here what we go. he did was set Buchanan up to beat him. Yes. Because he did all of these things that the press, like, really rallied against yeah. that Buchanan was safe from because he was not here. So in his opinion, if Buchanan's out of sight, out of mind, he can't do anything good to promote his presidency. Yeah. But in reality, he avoided being associated with anything bad because he was gone. So Buchanan can come back and, and say, be like, what happened? oh man, oh, what happened? This guy sucks. Ah. The New York Times actually said, He was taken up in the first place because he was an unknown. And now he is spurned because he is known. Oh, I see. So, I mean, Pierce is the incumbent. (laughs) And his own party says, you know what? We're good. Yeah. Why don't you go back to New Hampshire, buddy? Then in his, and this will be the last thing we do before break. Yeah. um, As we move into his post-presidency, which somehow gets worse. (laughs) Stay tuned. There's more. In his final message to Congress in 1860, he blames northern anti-slavery people as the problem to the country. Good gracious. He thought that they were elitists. He thought that they were, like, too good for, what is it, goody two-shoes? He basically thought they were, like, we know everything. Holier than that. Yeah. Guess what? They were right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 He gave a speech. On July 4th, 1863, that you're going to want to hear on the other side of this ad read. Yes. Stay tuned for one of our fantastic sponsors, and we will see you on the other side. Facing the transition out of the military is rarely easy. It doesn't help that the staggering number of options you're faced with can be overwhelming. But there's a light at the end of that tunnel for all veterans, and that light shines brightest here in Indiana. Lucrative careers in fast-growing industries are plentiful. Housing costs are amongst the lowest in the nation. And you can live in the country while being less than an hour from a world-class city. At InVets, we're showing veterans how to translate the valuable skills they've learned to the civilian world while connecting them with careers they can be proud of so they can lead fulfilling, purposeful lives. Go to InVets, that's I-N-V-E-T-S dot org 
Create a profile to learn more about Indiana communities, browse the current open job openings in these communities, and receive your free shirt. That's invets, I-N-V-E-T-S dot org. Hey, we're back. Welcome, friends. You're listening to episode 14 of the Presidential Podcast, The Doughface. Franklin Pierce's beloved wife, Jane, dies of tuberculosis in Andover, Massachusetts in December of 1862. Six months after his wife's death, Pierce found his best friend, Nathaniel Hawthorne, also dead while they were traveling together. And he spent his Nathaniel Hawthorne's last moments with him but did not spend the last moments of his wife's life with her. Where was he when she... Oh, she was back home. Yeah, he was yeah. on at Nathaniel Hawthorne's side when he wow. died. He was not at his wife's side mm. when she died. He also made an incredibly anti-union speech on July 4th, 1863. And if that date stands out to you outside of the revolution, it's because we were currently winning the Battle of Gettysburg. <laughs> the day after we won. <laughs> and he and he's like, the Union Army's bad. Like they're just standing up for what they believe in. And we're just Yes. He he called the war, quote, fearful, fruitless, and fatal. End quote. On July 4th, 1863, immediately losing face when news ended up hitting the press of the historic yeah. Union victory the day before. A little bit about uh, Hawthorne's death. So Hawthorne and, and Pierce had a really interesting relationship. Like we said earlier in the episode, they had been friends at college up in Maine. Hawthorne had controversially dedicated his final book to Franklin Pierce, also because Pierce was so hated by Hawthorne's other literary associates like Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, Ooh. Ralph Waldo Emerson. He was prevented from being a pallbearer at Hawthorne's funeral, and he sat with the family instead. Because, wait, I don't understand. So Hawthorne's buddies, uh -huh. who are literary giants yeah, in their own right. Of course, they were all in authors. Hated Franklin Pierce. Right. Rightfully so. so yeah. Right. And then... Pierce then shows up and he's like, I'd love to be a pallbearer for my best friend's funeral. And they're like, nope, you're going to sit with his family instead. Yeah. So, I mean. That's the Julia Roberts movie that never made past the cutting for. My best friend's funeral. <laughs> Is Julia Roberts playing the part of Sleepless in New Hampshire. <laughs> <laughs> There it is. There's the soundbite of the episode. Oh, uh, uh, it's brilliant. Well, so Lincoln. So, what did he do yeah. after his presidency? I oh, mean, man. it was his presidency was so great. Oh, gosh. Um, and what? Who was it that he was such good friends with oh. earlier? Maybe he named him Secretary of War. Yeah, it rhymes with uh, Blefferson Mavis. Yes. Um, uh, the Smorshan, uh, Jefferson uh, Davis. That's yes, right. Right. The secessionist. Yeah. Yeah. Confederate so president. the president of the Confederacy, mm. who was Franklin Pierce's secretary of war, mm. uh, secedes clearly. And after the war is uh, tried for treason. Yeah. And Franklin Pierce is like, oh, you don't have counsel. I'll be your counsel. Yo, I'll, I'll defend you for treason. I was a lawyer before this whole yeah. president thing. Yeah. Don't forget, like I was a president, so clearly I was a lawyer. Um, yeah, I got some clout, bro. I can, I can defend you. I got and, you. Like what? What? Yeah. What's going through your like, mind? Okay. So we have Tyler, right? Who after the presidency became the head of the Confederate. He was elected, but he never took office to but be I mean, in like, the... He the, wanted to be in that position. The so we have House. one yeah. president who became a traitor. And the and only now, president buried under a flag that not, was not the American flag. Right. John Tyler. 
And now we have another president that's like, well, I'll defend the guy that fought us. He's not that bad. It's, yeah, it's not he, treason, guys. It's was, states' rights. He was my buddy back in the day. We had like 127 beers one yeah. night. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, states' rights to own other humans Yeah, against their will. And then they were like, oh, we appreciate the offer, but we're good. Yeah, thank so you. So he doesn't defend him. So anybody that's defending him, they're like, but he didn't do it. Yeah. It's because they said no. <laughs> right (laughs) think about how bad like you have to be as a human where they're like actually we don't uh we don't want to associate with you yeah you probably Uh, also suck (laughs) as a lawyer too so then he decides to join the episcopalian church yeah and only fish for the rest of his life gosh because they're the only denomination that didn't denounce slavery Yeah, this happened on the second anniversary of his wife's death. He was baptized into the Episcopal faith at St. Paul's Church in Concord. Yeah. Yeah. Two years after his very pious wife dies, he says, you know what? I think I'm going to join that church. Go ahead, Russ. You sound like you you look like you've got I am floored by the fact that there's a religion that only eats fish. Russ got it. Oh, the pescatarians? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's number four. (sighs) You guys are both the worst. Well, Let's talk about what he did as if he couldn't shoot himself in the foot anymore. Okay. After President Lincoln is assassinated in April of 1865, mm. a group of citizens in Pierce's hometown of Concord, New Hampshire, gathered on the street to express their grief and sorrow and to confront neighbors who weren't displaying the flag in the moment of national tragedy. A mob of approximately 400 people reached Pierce's house and demanded to know where the former president was keeping his flag. Pierce Pierce replied rather testily, quote, It is not necessary for me to show my devotion to the stars and stripes, end quote. He reiterated his many patriotic credentials by recalling his ancestors' participation in the Revolution and the War of 1812 and his own 35-year service to New Hampshire and the nation. Don't you remember when I was sick during the Battle of Chapultepec? <laughs> That's right. Nursing. I don't have to fly a flag for my service. You should be thanking me. Carriage. I'm a veteran. My undercarriage grew to the size of a grapefruit. Yeah. You weren't there. Yeah, you didn't see what that horse did to my balls. Neither was Lincoln. Oh, my gosh. Lincoln didn't do anything for so my testes. So he was the only president that caught heat for this. Yeah. Uh, Fillmore. Yeah, right? Fillmore? Fillmore. But Fillmore was out of town. He was out of town. Pierce was just being Pierce. Right. So people, the like the pitchfork mop came for Fillmore and knocked on his door. The American Gothic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the literal, yeah. yeah. The painting representation of his life came to his door and yeah. they were like, oh, never mind. We're good. He's not here. <laughs> like nobody's here to fly the flag. He's probably fine. It's, it's fine. And with Pierce, Pierce was like, I'm not fine. Oh, flag. No. Yeah. Look at my LinkedIn profile. Don't, I don't tread on me. Don't tread on me. Yeah. Oh, my God. Anyway, the mob gave Pierce three cheers. Huzzah! Huzzah! Wait. Huzzah, they said. They, okay, hold on. And dispersed without no. burning his house down. We're pausing. Go ahead. They showed up angry. Yep. Because he wasn't going to give Lincoln the appropriate respect Correct. that Lincoln was due. Yep. His response was, it's not my job, basically. Yeah. Which, actually, in fact, it is your job as a figurehead to do figurehead things. Yeah. Right? And they were like, oh, no, good point. You know what? He's got a good point. And they they cheered him? They cheered him. This is the... Oh, what? 
This is the equivalent of somebody posting a false thing on Facebook. Yeah. And somebody going, that's actually not true. (laughs) And then the person going, oh, you're right. It's not true. You're right. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out for me. Uh, It doesn't happen. That, That didn't happen. I don't believe that story. Well, they dispersed. And I love that the mindset was like, I'm going to burn some houses down today if they don't have a flag out. And then Pierce yeah. rolls out and he's like, I don't need, I don't need a flag. Myself. And they're like, you're right. We're not going to bring your it's house down. It's a good point. I mean, it's like a missionary going to another country and being like, you should join my religion. And they were like, no, I'm good with my religion. And they were like, actually, your religion's good. I'm going to join it instead. Yeah, yeah. So they were just, they basically looked around and they were like, I mean, he is, he's really good looking. Like yeah. he's got a point. Gosh, I don't know what he's, he's said, striking. God, he looked handsome. Oh man. I, there's Put the no, down. I, there's no point in my life where I'm going to wrap my head around that story. Tommy, I do- <laughs> blow out your torch. <laughs> just, yeah. I don't get it. I don't understand let's get to him dying shall we? please pierce's health began to decline again in mid 1869 he resumed drinking heavily despite his deteriorating physical condition he returned to concord that september suffering from cirrhosis of the liver knowing he would not recover none of his family members were present in his final days he died at 4.35 a.m. on Friday, October 8, 1869, at the age of 64. President Ulysses Grant, who later defended Pierce's service in the Mexican-American War, declared a day of national mourning. Pierce was buried next to Jane and two of their sons at Concord's Old North Cemetery in New Hampshire. Let's go into his legacy, shall we? <sighs> okay. <laughs> so after he dies... He passes mostly from the American consciousness, except as one of a series of presidents whose disastrous tenures led to the Civil War. His presidency is widely regarded as a failure, and he's often described as one of the worst presidents in American history. Shocking. Part of his failure was in allowing a divided Congress to take the initiative, most disastrously with the Kansas-Nebraska Act. Pierce helped bring an end to the dominance of the Democratic Party that had started with Andrew Jackson. As a member of it. <laughs> As a member of it. <laughs> That's so That's true. fantastic. Yeah. Like, usually, if you're ending the dominance of something, yeah. like your Notre Dame beating UCLA, yeah. no. like... It's not like I got recruited by UCLA and made him suck. Like he's like I'm tearing this thing down yeah. from within. He's the yeah, yeah. he's and the coach. He's the oh man, he's the Archie Miller of I do know that <laughs> reference. Go Hoosiers. Yeah, this leads to a period of over 70 years when the Republicans mostly controlled national politics. According to C-SPAN's Presidential Historian Survey, Pierce currently sits in the number 41 position just below Warren G. Harding and right above Andrew Johnson. Which just goes to show you how to be above Andrew Johnson. (laughs) Finish this statement, if you will, both of you. I want to hear your input on this. Franklin Pierce. Hold on. Real quick, go ahead. Warren G. Harding gets a bad rap. Okay, yeah, we'll get to that in episode twenty-eight, nine, twenty-nine. Okay, <laughs> thank you. I was close. I thought you were looking at me weird because it should have been in like the no, because I was waiting to see if you'd get it right. <laughs> yeah, twenty. Yep. Yeah. All right, both of you, Russ and Blaine, finish this statement. Franklin Pierce is the reason the United States got in a civil war. Okay, Russ. Didn't get Cuba. Mm, okay. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Not the sole reason he got that we got in the Civil War, but he definitely like took the the flint and was like, I, Yeah. I could start this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I don't know what I, I think I would say more along the lines of the Civil War thing. Russ, you raise an interesting point of bringing up the Cuba thing. But yeah, I, I think it's... He's I mean, the both reason- of those statements could be attributed to multiple presidents. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you could throw the Cuba thing on Pierce. You could throw it on oh, Taylor, I think. You could throw it on JFK. Mm-hmm. You could throw it mm-hmm. on Teddy. Yeah. Uh, and same with the Civil War. You could say it's Pierce's fault. You could say it's Buchanan's fault. You could even say it was Lincoln's fault. Yeah. You could say it was because of Billard Fillmore. Billard Fillmore? Millard. I said Millard. Oh, man. Millard Fillmore should have had a billiards company. Oh, Millard's billiards. billiards. Yeah. Oh, it's brilliant. not wrong. You're not wrong. I think Franklin Pierce is the reason the U.S. accelerated towards the Civil War. That's fair. I mean, we knew going back to Adams that... It was going to happen. It was in the cards. It, it was yeah. bound to happen. Let's dive into my favorite segment. Yeah. Little Some known little facts. Little known facts. Actually, before we dive into oh, that, I'd okay. love to hear a personal little known fact from you. Uh, About what? From your own Franklin Pierce history. Because oh, you have yes. a Franklin Pierce story. I do. So before this podcast- From when you met him, right? Even <laughs> That's right. I, I went to his grave yeah. in Concord, and I laid down a- Greenery, too. Granary, ah, oh, Granary, the theme song. Come on. If you don't know my song, Granary, man, is it a banger about Paul Revere. If you don't know it, you've heard it at least 14 yes. times by now, That's or right. once or if once. you're weird and started today. <laughs> Maybe you just are in Concord and you're like, hmm. Yeah. Finally, they got to the New Hampshire oh, one. Oh, man, I'm so glad. I haven't this- heard anything negative about them. Hopefully, they don't start. I'm so glad this geotagged Facebook ad popped up on my <laughs> thing about Franklin Pierce. Okay, so, so your anyway, Franklin Pierce. So story. I, for many years, performed in the acapella group Straight No Chaser, and we had a gig in Charleston, South Carolina. The bus is broken down. The air conditioning doesn't work. Our hotel is unavailable at that point, so we're sleeping on the bus, which happened a lot, but not when we're parked in a hotel parking lot when the hotel is like right there. Mm-hmm. We have to stay on the bus. It's hot. It's South Carolina. It's humid, and we're drinking profusely. I look at my friend Mike, who has longish hair at that point. And he's kind of sweaty, and I was like, "You look like Franklin Pierce, bro," and he's like. Who's Franklin Pierce? And I was like pulling up on Google and I was like, this guy. And it's that picture on the book. Okay. And he's like, was he a president or something? And I was like, it says he was the 14th president. And I was like, let's do your hair like Franklin Pierce really quick. There's a picture. I got to find it. We'll post it. That my friend Mike, and he's very handsome, striking personality, uh, looks exactly like Franklin Pierce in this photo. Kudos That's my to one you Franklin Pierce for knowing who Franklin Pierce was. Well, so here's the deal. Your life. I've told you before that when this podcast was getting oh, born, I'm like, I, th- I remember being like first, second grade in Pascagoula, Mississippi, going to the library. My dad was in the Navy. That's why we lived there. My mom would take me when my dad would be out at sea. And I would be somewhat drawn to the history section as a kid. And they had these presidents for kids books like Washington all the way up to that point. It probably would have been, I don't know. H.W. Who, who's president in 89? H.W. But I remember bringing home like the random Franklin Pierce little book. They were these red little books. Mm -hmm. Franklin Pierce, I remember. I remember um, John Tyler. I remember Martin Van Buren. I don't know why I was drawn to just remember the ones obscure hated America secessionist uh, yeah. <laughs> treasonous <laughs> not Martin I mean Van you Beard. lived in Mississippi at the time I did yeah. <laughs> so Man, it makes could sense could walk to the Gulf of Mexico <laughs> the Magnolia State so bad yo Ma- 
Mississippi does not have the best history no. when it comes to being on the right side of history. No. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, so, little sorry. known facts. Oh, little known facts. Franklin Pierce. You remember his middle name? Delano. Nope. That was FDR. Okay. Well, it was, I mean, it could have been his, too. It's FDR, tr- well-known incestuous. It's a trick question. He did not have a middle name. Mm-hmm. Oh, of course. Did not have a middle name. Unlike Harry S. Truman, whose middle name was... S. S. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of fun. Franklin Pierce, no middle name. He was the first president to deliver his inaugural address from memory, and it lasted 20 minutes. He was the first president to put a Christmas tree in the White House. Hmm. It's kind of fun. Sure. You know. Was it real or fake, or was it one of those silver ones with the rotating color wheel? Yeah, it, it, it definitely wasn't that. No, it had a uh, electricity. <laughs> he had like a little model of Fort Sumter right, but yeah, it was <laughs> like one it. day. Oh, bang! Man. Hit that button, son. <laughs> Hit that button, Benny. Oh God, Benny! <laughs> I thought we agreed we weren't making Benny jokes. <laughs> I'm sorry. Shout out to Benny Pierce, who got okay. his head shaved off in a train accident. Oh. He was the only president to keep his entire cabinet in place for the full four-year term. Only one. Up to that point? Yep. Okay. Because I was going to say, that can't be true. Only president at that point to keep his entire cabinet okay. in place for the full four-year term. All right. Uh, we've mentioned he had some amazing foliage. He had some beautiful hair, some mm. glorious locks. One witness described his hair approvingly as a, quote, Mass of curly black hair combed on a deep slant over his wide forehead. And that was after viewing Pierce's dead body in state <laughs> in 1869. He did have a middle part. He had like the Eric Matthews kind of the 90s over, yeah. middle part. I mean, like imagine going up to the president's coffin and being like, I'm kind of glad this yeah. dude's dead, actually, uh, if I could just have a confession moment. Yeah, but that hair. Gosh, it's glorious. I wish I was warned before I walked up to the coffin of dead Franklin Pierce. Warn me next time, Beverly. It's the pleats. It's the pleats and the pants. Why does every episode have a Ron Burgundy kind of stuff? That's you. Oh, I you, know. I, I can't answer that. Gosh, just Franklin Pierce looking up at you with his cold, dead eyes and his beautiful, <laughs> it's beautiful hair. It's beautiful still growing hair. to this Gosh. day. Pantene Pro V. This episode brought to you by Pantene Pro V. No free ads. The best shampoo for dead secessionist presidents. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Uh, so we'll bill you. (laughs) Yeah, we should mention we are all in the state of Indiana. We are proud Hoosiers. Very proud Hoosiers, Ryan. Uh, So what's the Indiana connection to Franklin Pierce? The tiny town of Pierston in north central Indiana, population 1015, was founded in 1853 and christened after President Franklin Pierce. I looked it up on Wikipedia, and there's not a lot to little tiny Pierston, Indiana, but they named the town after After the president. him. Okay. After him. That's my last (sighs) little known fact. Did you have any about Franklin Pierce? No, I had none. You had none? Yeah, I mean, I feel time? like the entire episode's a little known fact. Okay. I've already established that everybody I've told that I was recording this episode was like, I didn't even know there was a president. Yeah. Would you say he's more of a bigoted traitor or a treasonous bigot? <laughs> I like the loaded question. I really do appreciate it. I would say he was more of a treasonous bigot. Okay. Yeah. If, if I had to take those two. Yeah. 
Um, I, I mean, a well-groomed. I wonder what, like, what started in young Franklin Pierce's mind, age 15, going to college in Maine, to go, you guys, the South is really like, we should, come on, we should be buddies. I do think that it was his dad. He, yeah. he was like, my dad started this country and I don't want to see it fall apart so i will grasp for as many straws as possible hey thank you for listening to the presidential podcast you know who comes out on top on this russ 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 ian slivka (laughs) god love it hey if you loved this episode why please let us know (laughs) subscribe follow us wherever you get your podcast share it with a fellow history buff and leave a review at the very least i hope you laughed i hope you did too we've been getting a lot of great feedback from our fans and listeners we appreciate it please leave a review we love reading them our next episode on 15th president james buchanan will be released on wednesday august 4th 2021 the season finale that's right season one finale it's exciting so we can start off season two on a bright note Mm. Abe Lincoln. Yeah. In the meantime, you can follow us on all the socials at Presequential and let us know what you thought of this episode. Also, you can get episodes early, ad-free, and you can get some bonus episodes of the podcast when you join our Patreon community. Go to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Presequential. Be sure to check out our generous sponsors as well. We hope you enjoyed episode 14, The Doughface of the Presequential Podcast. Podcast.